Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner. Hello, I very much recommend that you start here before you listen to any of the 52 half-hour conversations that uh, will give you a sneak preview of every book of the Bible. Mike Beaumont is my guest, and I think it would be helpful, Mike, if you could just explain the the aim of the series and, and, and what we can expect from each episode. Well, we want to help people really to get into this, well, I almost said this book, but actually it's more than a book isn't it? The very word Bible comes from a Greek word, biblia, meaning books. And there's the first clue. It's a collection of 66 books, which Christians believe is God's word speaking to us through unfolding history. So we have a collection of books here, which are basically telling a story and revealing who God is and what he wants to do and how we can know him and be part of that. And what we want to do in the series is to look at each of those 66 books and to see where they fit into the bigger story, but also to see what each of the stories itself is telling us. And not just to sort of do a history lesson. Frankly, that would only be interesting for the history buffs, wouldn't it, among (laughs) listeners? (laughs) It is history, it is story, it is all sorts of things, but It's also meant to be a word to change our lives today. So each time we'll be looking at the book and what's in it and its background and how we can understand it. But what's this mean for us today? Why, Frankly, why should I bother? Life's busy, isn't it? There's stuff to do. Why should I take time out of my busy life to read these books in this book? And the answer we'll be trying to give is because in it, You're going to find God, the God who loves you, the God who's got a plan for your life, and the God who wants to invite you into the even bigger plan that he has for the whole world. Okay, now, in each of our conversations, we've only got 30 minutes. That's not long to dip into some of these books of the Bible. It's not. I mean, for some of the books, it's going to be quite a long time because some of the books in the Bible, as you know, are very short, but some are very long and very complex. So what we will do in this series is to look for the the sort of the key pegs that we can hang things on. And very often, I think people sometimes get lost or discouraged when they're reading the Bible because maybe they come to a, a hard bit or a bit they can't quite understand get a bit lost on the way. Well, you know, it's like when you're going on a walk. Sometimes when you're going on a walk, you'll say, we'll go off off piste here, but we'll all meet back at this tree. And this tree is the place where we can continue the main walk. So we look to put certain sort of pegs in, certain tree markers along the way to say, these are key ideas. These are key points. And you can always come back here so that you don't get lost on the journey. I've got to ask you, what are your qualifications for helping us understand each book of the Bible? I actually became a Christian at the age of 18, and that's several decades ago now. (laughs) And I've been working my way through this book over these years and reading other books to help because there are lots of excellent books and resources out there to help. And there was a certain stage in my life as well where I actually went to – London School of Theology and and did my 
theology degree there. So I've got, if you like, the formal training of the techniques to know what to look for and how to handle this book. But I, I'm I'm not parading that as a sort of these are medals I've got. They're, they're just helpful tools. God has led me along my journey to help me to understand this book better. But in a sense, the way I've got to understand it best of all is is just slowly digging away at it, reading it again and again and again and reading other helpful books and other godly men and women who've got insights on it and commentaries and things like that. And slowly over the years, you know, I've built up my my little storehouse of knowledge about it. But you know what? There are still times when people would come to me as a pastor or Bible teacher or author and say, what do you think this means? And I, I still have to say, do you know what? I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to have to go and check that myself and look at some reference book. So you're not just coming at it from the point of view of like a Bible academic? No, I don't want to do that at all. And that's not because I despise the academic side of study. I've loved it. I've done it. But it seems to me that having done that and still doing that, you then have to make the Bible work for people. And I mean, that's the great thing about Jesus. When you read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, he had no formal academic training like the rabbis of his day. That's why so many of the rabbis and the Pharisees looked down on him and despised him and those apostles that he called as well. They were dismissed as uneducated men is one of the phrase in Acts. But what they knew was they knew the word of God, and more importantly, they knew the God who caused this book to be written. And that's what it was that helped them to unfold it. So I love to dig into the sort of academic side and the background and the history and the archaeology, but not for its own sake. That then has to help people get this word come alive in some way so that they think, ah, I've got it. And for me, a little story that perhaps helps, when I left a theological college many years ago, I I actually started a a PhD and was going to do that part-time while leading my very first church, which was in Manchester at that time. And the idea was that I would do both. But what I discovered was as I started teaching the Bible in this church, the church really came alive. People found Jesus, got added to the church. The church grew. It got bigger and bigger. There was more to do. And I was trying to do my PhD on one side and and was really struggling to do both of them. And the point came where I had to decide, look, you're either going to have to keep up with leading the church or you're going to have to stop and do your PhD And as I prayed about it, for me, I decided to go the church route. And actually, to this day, I never completed that PhD. It's still there on a shelf. (laughs) And others have written on what I would have written there. But I simply tell that story to show that I do have a passion for studying deep and getting behind. But I also have a passion for making this book relevant to people's lives for today and at the end of the day, that's the one that really counts, I think. Can I just ask you a few basic things? I mean, the Bible seems to come not only in 66 books, but in kind of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, I mean, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, those two terms are terms that are used by Christians, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They wouldn't be terms that are used by 
people of Jewish faith, obviously, because for when there, there is only one testament or one covenant, they actually call it the, the Tanakh is their word for the whole of what we would call the Old Testament. But if we put our Christian perspective on, the Old Testament is the story of how God brought this world into being and what his plan was for it and what went wrong with it and how, when it went wrong, God had a plan. And it was a plan to build a family of faith that came from one man, Abraham. And the Old Testament tells us the unfolding story of Abraham's descendants, the people who became known as the nation of Israel. And it takes us through its ups and downs at times of obeying God and disobeying God. And when they disobey God, we see that they get into a mess. And it takes us through the whole of that story. Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, his 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel that grow into the nation of Israel, that spend time in slavery in Egypt, but are freed under Moses and eventually get to the promised land and prosper there, but then mess up there and are exiled from there and eventually brought back much chastened and longing for a Messiah, a saviour who would come. That's where the second part of the story comes, the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus, the one who was Israel's promised Messiah. And the story of how this Jesus came to fulfill all the promises made through that first part of the story, but to widen it beyond just one national grouping to what had always been in God's heart, his promise to Abraham that he would become a father of the families of the whole earth. And so in the second part of the story, we see Jesus coming with the good news of the kingdom of how we can get right with God and making that possible through his death on the cross to pay the price of our sins and his resurrection to prove that he conquered sin and death and that God's purpose has triumphed. And then he unfolds into the book of Acts, the story of the early church and the letters, which are letters written to some of those churches with some of the opportunities and challenge that they faced and ending with the book of Revelation, a sweep through history of what God's great plan is and how it will end up just as he planned right at the beginning. So the really important thing to remember is that these are two halves of the one story. Very often you come across Christians who just go straight to the New Testament and it's almost as if, oh, in the beginning, God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 3, people disobeyed God and everything went wrong. And so God had to send Jesus and suddenly we've missed out the whole of the Old Testament. Well, in in our series, we want to try and look at that great big picture. And it will not take away from what Jesus came to do. It will actually magnify it and highlight it and show that it's far bigger than very often that we think. So we have one story in two acts. And each book has these chapters and verses which if you just read a novel, you wouldn't have sort of <laughs> chapters and verses in the same way, would you say, well, what's that all about? 
Well, it's important to remember that the chapters and verses weren't there in the original Bible. In fact, the original Bible wasn't even books. It was scrolls, long piece of parchment on two poles that you had to sort of wiggle your both hands. It gives a whole new meaning to scrolling, doesn't it? We're used to scrolling these days, but flicking up and down. Well, it was pretty much like that, but you couldn't flick. You had to wind and and go a long way to find the passage that you were looking for. And so, in fact, through church history, what happened was that people thought once those scrolls were turned into, first of all, codexes, early forms of books, then what we now know as books, it was important to be able to find our way around. And so while it wasn't in the original Bible, later commentators and producers of Bibles added chapters and verses simply as a way of breaking it up, really making it easier uh, to find our way around. A lot of people are quite surprised to know how late it was added. So, uh, for example, the chapters weren't added till 1205 uh, by Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the verses weren't added until 1551, and that happened by a, a Parisian bookseller who thought, Oh, here's a, here's a good marketing technique. I could start to add verses. The trouble is, when they added the chapters and verses, while they're helpful in my being able to say to you, will you turn to chapter three of this book and you can find it pretty quickly, sometimes the chapters and verses weren't put in very helpful places, <laughs> perhaps because of a lack of their scholarship at that time and they'd not quite seen a a story carried on. So chapters and verses really helpful in finding our way around, sometimes unhelpful because they come just at the wrong point and they mean you stop without reading the end of the story in the next bit. So they're a way of helping us find our way around, but remember they weren't there in the original Bible text. I've got to ask you the question, who wrote the Bible? Well, I suppose the easy answer would be to say God, but it wasn't quite that straightforward, was it? I think the important thing to remember is that the Bible is God's story. We're reading the story of the purposes of God, who he is and what he is doing through people. And there's the second part of the Bible, because it wasn't as if God just dropped something out of heaven. He didn't drop a book out of heaven. Nor did he suddenly say, David, take a letter. And you wrote down carefully every word that he dictated. What the Bible itself tells us happened is that God's Holy Spirit so came on men and women that what they wrote was exactly what God wanted written. And because of that, they write in different styles, different approaches. Some are more interested in detail. So if you compare something like Matthew's gospel, Matthew really sets things out very carefully. He was a tax collector. He was used to things in order and in columns. So when God uses him to write his gospel, it's very 
ordered, very orderly. Things are in groupings. Mark, who was not one of the original 12, but a very close friend of Peter, they were much more working class people. So there's a a much more action orientated and God used that style. Luke, oh, he's really interested in historical detailing and getting the titles of uh, Roman procurators correct and things like this. So God didn't swamp their style. He used their different styles. And so who wrote it? Ultimately, God, but through his Holy Spirit, so working in the writers that what they wrote was exactly what he wanted, but using their language, their idioms, their approach, their style, which is very often where a bit of scholarship can help us with something of the background to understand some of the imagery or language that they are using. So it's almost as if the Bible has dual authors. There's God on the one side, there's people on the other. It's not a postman being given a letter to deliver. It's not someone who's suddenly been taken over and gone into sort of automatic writing. This is people saying, Lord, what do you want me to write? And feeling the stirring of his spirit so that as they started to set pen to paper, yeah, what they wrote was exactly what God wanted written. There's there's a lovely verse in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where Peter talks about people being led along by the Holy Spirit as they gave their prophetic word or as they wrote their prophecies. And that word, they were led along, is the picture, he's using an image there, it was the picture of a ship hoisting its sail to be carried along by the wind. And he's saying that's what happened when people wrote the Bible. It's almost as if they hoisted their inner spiritual sail and said, right, Lord, blow with your wind in my writing. Take me where you want me to go now. And they were led by the Holy Spirit. So that, again, that phrase, what they wrote was exactly what God wanted. If somebody was wanting to, needing to buy a Bible for the first time and you go either go into a bookshop or look online or whatever, there's a whole myriad of them. And where do you start? I know. It's almost embarrassing, isn't it? And particularly when you think, you know, some parts of the world don't even have part of the gospel yet. Uh, I've often worked in the nation of Myanmar, Burma, as it used to be called. And until very, very recently, there was still only one translation of the Bible there dating from the early 1800s. So the language was very archaic and some of its words didn't even make sense anymore in modern Burmese. But in the West, we've got such a broad collection of Bibles. Where on earth do you begin? Well, I am not going to recommend one in particular or I will offend someone who's got a favourite one that's different. But what I would say is this, if among our listeners there are people who've just never really approached the Bible before, maybe never read it, or maybe it's a long time since they read it, maybe it's when they were young or as children, maybe some of the older folk remember stories from Sunday school, I would say this, don't start with one of the more literary versions. 
So please don't see this, lovers of this version, as my being against it, but I wouldn't put the King James version or the authorised version into the hands of someone who is looking or searching or a new Christian because its language is quite highbrow. It's definitely Daily Telegraph and the Times in terms of newspapers that we have here in the UK. And what you need is probably something that's more relatable to. And so there are a whole number of those. And if you did go into a Christian bookstore, they'd be able to help you. But but a Bible like the Christian Basics Bible that's based on the New Living Translation is done in modern, everyday English, which helps you to grasp the story. There are others out there as well. They come under titles sometimes of Youth Bible or Good News Bible. There are a whole host of them. But I would say, if you're not sure, open it, find a particular passage, read it, and then pick up another one and read it in a different edition Which one did you understand more easily? Well, that's probably the one to start with. And as you grow on, as you develop, you can go for other Bibles and lots of them have study notes at the bottom and really helpful things about the background and the theology and the archaeology. So there's rich resources out there for people who want that too. But I would say get one that you can understand because this is the most important thing. Read a Bible that with a little bit of help, maybe, you can understand and you're not going to be struggling over a words or over what on earth does this mean? And you're just going to give up and get stuck. Of course, you can get Bibles online now. I think the YouVersion app, for example, is a very popular one with all the different translations. Absolutely. And that's a really good prompt there, uh, David, because if you go to that, that gives you a really good opportunity to compare several different editions just from the drop-down menu and you can tell at a glance that oh that was much easier for me so you don't even have to spend money that's free isn't it online take a look at that find one that's really readable but then you know i suppose maybe i'm just a bit old-fashioned i'm certainly old that's one thing for sure but there is still something about having a printed bible although i use online versions as well thing about a printed Bible is that very often you can find things quite easily. Remember, ah, oh, that verse, yes, it was bottom right, I remember, uh, of a page somewhere in, in John's Gospel, and you, you can flick through it. Of course, these days with searches online, you can find verses as long as you can remember a key word or two from what you're looking for. But there's still something to be said for having an edition that maybe you can underline or put comments on or note things that you feel God said to you. This is not such a holy book that you daren't mark it or underline it. It's there to bring us to the living God and whatever helps us do that, then that's great to do. So I've got my Bible, my hard copy, if you like. Where do I start? Well, I think it depends where you're coming from. And if you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, or if you're someone who's interested in finding out more, please don't start at the beginning. Now, I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? Because where do we start reading a novel? We start at the beginning and we plod through till we get to the denouement at the end. But remember, we said earlier, the Bible isn't one book. Actually, you need to think of the Bible as a library. It's a library of books. And like a library... Its books are gathered 
not by sort of chronology or the storyline. They're gathered in categories, just like in a library. And once you become familiar with it, you know which section to go to and which book to get out. But if you're coming to the Bible brand new, I would say, do you know, the best place to start is to start with the story of Jesus. Because he is the one that the whole of the Bible leads up to. He's like the central point, the the hub around which all the spokes lead to and, and come out from. So go to one of what we call the Gospels, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the second part of the Bible, in the New Testament. Which of the four? Well, I would probably say if you want something short and fast moving, start with Mark's gospel. Mark is full of adventure. Jesus is always moving on to the next thing. There's lots of miracles there. If you want something a little bit perhaps more reflective, then you perhaps start with Luke's gospel. A little bit longer, a little bit more detail. If you want something a little bit more reflective than that, even almost one might say a little bit verging on the edge of philosophical at times, John's gospel would be a good one to start with. But starting with one of those, you noticed I missed out Matthew. Why? Well, because so much of Matthew has so many references to the first part of the story, the Old Testament. And so it's not the one I'd start with because you understand that one better when you understand bits of the first bit. So probably Mark or Luke is where I normally suggest people start because starting there, you're getting to know more about the person of Jesus for whom this whole book really comes about. And it's in knowing Jesus and in understanding what he's done for us that we get introduced to the living God and then suddenly we have a motivation and passion for wanting to read the rest of these stories. You've read, obviously, from what you're saying, all the books of the Bible. What, what difference has it made to your life to do that? Yeah, I've read them all many, many times over the years. And, I mean, I love the Bible and I love it not because of the book it is itself. Now, sometimes people can almost give the impression of the Bible is God. <laughs> and I do believe it is God's word to us, without a doubt. And I believe it is truth and I believe it transforms lives. But what I have discovered in the years of reading the Bible and still Still to this day, I've worked through and read a portion of it each day for myself, is that the Bible is meant to lead me to the God who brought everything into being, the God who makes sense of my life, our nation, the nations, the world, history, where it's going. And it gives me a, a sort of you know, right here by the side of me, is, as you can see, David, are a pair of spectacles which I need mm. to put on uh, <laughs> when I'm going to read from the Bible. And it's like when I put these spectacles on, uh, suddenly the text in front of me becomes clear. And for me, reading the Bible is, is a way of, it puts spectacles on to help me see what God is really like. 
And it's in reading the whole of the Bible that you get the big picture of what it's like, not just picking out a favourite verse at random, taking it out of context and, and using that to prove a point. But I think what I've discovered in reading it over the years is in reading this book, you will discover Jesus. You will discover more and more of Jesus. You will never get to the end of discovering there are things new to discover about Jesus and about Father God. And in discovering that, you will find both encouragements to help you when you're struggling in life, provocations to nudge you when you're in danger of getting comfortable and settled in life, challenges to make you face up to when you've done or said stuff or not done or not said stuff that you ought to have done. And God suddenly challenges you and says, well, that wasn't very good, was it? And you know deep in your gut that the answer is no. But you find that he is there to pick you up, dust you down and set you off on your way again. So it really is a book for every season of life, every age of life, every circumstance of life, the ups, the downs, the good and the bad, the happy and the sad. What I've discovered over the years of reading this book is if you will steadily work through it, God has a way of making just the right part be there at just the right time to give you just what you need to live a fulfilled life and a life that serves him and others. It sounds amazing. It's amazing to think that words written down thousands of years ago can help us make sense of life today. So if the Bible isn't on your bucket list, you've now every good reason to put it on there. And hopefully our 52 conversations covering every book of the Bible will inspire you to achieve your goal. So Bible books in 30 minutes. Here we go. Mike, thanks for being our guide. Going to look forward to it. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.